hello everybody and thank you for tuning in to the move podcast i'm scotty carlisle your host and for the next 45 minutes hour maybe even three hours it depends as you're on the 91 freeway parking lot or if you're driving home or to your girlfriends or to work or whatever it is and you're listening to this podcast buckle up be safe and it's gonna be a interesting ride today we have andy aguilar and he has some interesting stories and he's overcome adversity in different ways and i want to extract some interesting stories from him i don't know so the bar is high but no pressure (laughs) first of all thank you for having me you're welcome so could you introduce yourself andy so like you said i'm andy aguilar Um, i run next step academy in corona california Um, i just started the program this year although we had a first trial in 2020 prior to covid Um, and it really just came as a result of children wanting to move on from recreational baseball to something a little bit uh, more competitive and preparing them for the discipline that's necessary for high school Um, i had some success in little league which i did as a volunteer um, and coaching yeah coaching i managed um, for 13 year olds we had a really good season i ended up managing the all-star team and then parents were interested in continuing with a developmental program so here we are so when you were a kid did you play baseball yeah so i i grew up with a baseball in my hands from the time i was three years old that was that was my passion um i come from a lineage of baseball players my grandpa played my my father played um so they're from mexico um i'm the first american player in the family but uh I think that I got a lot of different perspectives on the game based on my travel and, and the places that I've gotten to play. Um, and it's really a beautiful game. It's, it's a metaphor for life, I think. I, I agree. Right. Were you born here or were you born in Mexico? I was born in Santa Barbara here. Oh, okay. My dad was studying his uh, PhD over at uh, UC Santa Barbara. So that's when I came into the picture. Oh, got it. So your dad is a smart kid. Yes, he is. And so you came over here and then what is he doing now well he actually just took a job at texas a&m he's going to be uh the president of mechanical engineering at that college i believe oh so he's a real smart kid yeah (laughs) Yeah. wow okay and he was born in mexico yes mexico city mexico city and you've so i know we've talked briefly about your trips and so i know you've been to mexico city we'll get into that so you have a pretty good relationship with your dad yeah, I would say so. And he is he still involved in baseball at all, or? Uh, not really. He he lends a hand to the academy every now and then. Um, he was an assistant coach when I coached in little league, but you know, with his uh, workload at, at his job, he, he doesn't have much free time. Yeah, engineering. That's yeah. you got to be a damn smart kid for engineering. I you know, going to USC when we had different startups and there's a lot of different contests and you have people that are doing pitch competitions Mm -hmm. 90% of the people that would win the money are people that actually had an engineer that was involved so if you didn't have an engineer you're probably not gonna win that's just the way it works yeah so sure very important people so your dad when he played baseball what did he do he was a pitcher for the most part um, especially as he grew up uh, but he was a switch hitter too when he was younger. Um, he didn't become or specialize into a pitcher until he was about 16, 17. 
Um, and he did that as he was studying his undergraduate degree, too. So he was playing semi-pro ball in Mexico City. Oh, wow. And how old was he when he had you? He was 28, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. You have other siblings? I do. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay, so you were the first. Yeah, actually, you'll see my younger sister sometimes at her practices. Ah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Very cool, man. And so growing up, three three years old, you had a, a glove and you were throwing the ball. And, and then when did you first get involved in actually playing? Uh, when I was five for t-ball right away. Yeah, and I never stopped. I, I just went all the way through. Um, I would say I didn't get very competitive until I was nine, which was my first taste of uh, travel ball. And so I saw the difference uh, between recreational baseball and competitive baseball at that time. Yeah. So, and how old are you right now? 24. 24. Okay. So still, I mean, 15 or what, uh, 11, 11 years? No, nine. What, I can't. What is, how many years ago is that? Nine, uh, when I was nine? Yeah, when you were nine. Thirteen. Thirteen years. Yeah. So, not that long, but I Sorry, know... Sorry, no. Fifteen years ago. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> we're both struggling. Usually now. I'm pretty good with math, but <laughs> right now... Um, so, I know that over the last few years, what you know, travel ball has even blew up to a different level than before. Yeah. But travel ball, thir- 15 years ago, um, at nine years old... Yeah, and if you started at nine, then yeah, I could see that you've definitely been doing that for a while mm-hmm. and focused. Now, give me a give me a, a, a taste of what it was like being in a travel ball t- team. You know, being that early, that young. Well, most travel ball teams stem from an all star team um, at the re- recreational level, which was the case on the team that I played on. Um, and for the most part, when you first start, it, it's not easy. These teams that are in travel ball, you know, they practice three times a week together. They've probably been doing it for years at a time. So our first tournament, I think we lost 20 to nothing a couple times. Um, and it took months of... 20 to nothing. Yes, 20 oh, to damn. zero. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. And, and that, that's a common story in travel ball for, for new teams. Um, and so it takes a lot of time to gel as a team and to learn the... the differences between you know recreational baseball and and just having fun and and trying to be competitive and learning the details of the game um i fell in love with it at that level at nine years old and and i had a tough time going back to recreational baseball because i remember getting frustrated um that those details weren't really um you know tended to or, or worried about so uh when i started coaching that's something that i wanted to bring into little league um, and obviously you work with all sorts of talent, but uh, with your more talented players, you want to teach them those details so that they have a chance uh, when they try out for high school. The problem that I see in, in, at the high school level nowadays is if you didn't play travel ball, if you don't have a, you know, a taste of that uh, competitive nature, they, they don't really bother with taking um, uh, raw talent, if that makes sense. They mm-hmm. want somebody who's schooled in the game. Um, and so I just want to give as many kids an opportunity. Unfortunately, travel ball is dependent on money um, a lot of the times. And so less fortunate children aren't able to get access to that level of coaching. So I'm hoping to change that. Why did you even get into coaching? It started as a joke, honestly. Um, my buddy and I, we were talking. Um, I had umpired in Little League for years. And so I saw you know, the level that they had. And we were joking, you know, what if we start a team and what if we uh, coach and, and teach them the stuff that, that we um, 
were taught at that age. And so um, I, I remember just talking to him, I think it was at a restaurant, and we just said, well, let's take a team and let's see what happens. Um, and so I started in the fall, and we had a good season. It was it, That's more of practice ball, really. It's, it's not as competitive as spring. Um, and so after that, I, I liked the, the coaching aspect of it and, and, you know, working with children at that age. So I said, I'll take the spring team too. And that's when we went undefeated that season. Um, so the first season you coached, you went undefeated? Yeah, the first official spring <laughs> season, we went undefeated. We tied one game. I, I have to throw that in there. We did get we did tie one game, but um, we went undefeated. And then I got the privilege to coach the all-star team. And we had a good run as well. We made it to the state tournament, I believe. Damn. Now, when did you when did you stop playing? Did you play through high school? Did you play any college ball yourself, or how? What was your evolution of the of game? Yeah, game? so I played my freshman and sophomore year over at Centennial. Um, I ran into a string of injuries after that, and it was I think it was just overuse, to be frank. Um, that's another aspect of travel ball, which is uh, you know you have to err on the side of caution when you're young and, and not um, overuse your arm or or uh, play six games in a weekend, which is what I was doing. I used to be a catcher and a pitcher, so I uh, I, I did I did a lot at, at, at a young age, and that came back to bite me as I, you know, turned 16, 17. I had arm problems. Um, I tore my labrum, had to get surgery. So, and, and I've seen that with a lot of the people that I grew up playing with. You, you just get to a point where your body starts holding you back. What was that like when you, now did you have any um, desires or goals to, to play professional ball or college ball or what was your, like when you got hurt, what was your reaction to that? Was it not a big deal? Cause you're like, I'll get over it. Or was it, you know? Well, I think anybody who plays at that level at such a young age has those dreams and, uh, you, you aspire to, to get, go as far as you can in the game. Um, for me, it was kind of a wake up call. You know, I, I had heard you got to take care of your arm. You got to ice. Um, you have to stretch properly and I, I would but sometimes I wouldn't and and I think uh, I wasn't you know the most disciplined in that aspect and that's what resulted in uh, you know injuries down the line so that's part of what I try to uh, incorporate in my coaching is um, making sure that you take care of your body we do a lot of conditioning um, stretching I, I always you know bug my pitchers to, to the point of annoying them about icing after they pitch um, and it's precisely because of that um, one thing that I've seen also in Little League, you know, when, you, when you're a pitcher and, and, and you're throwing um, off-speed pitches at a certain age, you start throwing curveballs and sliders. The way that you learn how to throw them can really affect um, how your arm develops because you're still growing at that age. And so I try to teach, you know, what I was taught um, from, from the coaches that I, I really respected, the former pros or former collegiate athletes. Um, and so I think that can definitely contribute to your longevity. Um, because if you're, if you're throwing the curveball the wrong way or, or uh, you know, you don't know exactly what the consequences could be, then you're more likely to suffer one of those injuries in high school. And so I don't want them that to happen to the players like it did to me. Now, was there any injury that completely took you out of the game that you know that you at there was a point where you're like that it hit you like it's not going to. Like I, I'm not going to be able to be that professional player. Or was there a, was there a point that 
it yeah, hit you like that? So it happened kind of back to back. My my sophomore year, I had a really bad uh, elbow injury, um, and it seemed like it was chronic tendonitis. So even when it got better, I would throw a whole game, and, and all of a sudden it would start bugging me again. And so trying to pitch through that um, was tough. And, and by the end of that year, I kind of realized I'm not going to be able to at least throw seven innings maybe as a reliever. But the more that progressed, the more I realized that's just not going to last more than five, ten years, even if I try to go down that route. Um, so then I turned my attention to hitting. And uh, when I tore my labrum, the doctor pretty much told me even after this uh, this surgery, you're not gonna you're not gonna be the same. You're you know it's gonna be very tough to recover fully. Now some people do do it, and so I don't want that to discourage anybody who has that injury. You can have a full recovery and, and come back. A lot of pros do. Um, but at 17 years old, to begin with, hitting wasn't really my strong suit. And then after that injury, um, you know, it was a real struggle. So at that point, I realized uh, I'm not going to make it to the pros. I, I, I kind of saw that developing, you know. Um, but even the college level, I, I started to turn my attention more to, like, the academic side of things, which, which was also a sacrifice that sometimes... Um, I, I look back and regret, you know, putting so much attention on baseball when I was my first couple of years in, in high school and, and not focusing so much on the grades. Um, I think that you have to have a balance. And so um, that, that's part of what we try to incorporate, too, in, in, in Next Step Academy is, is make sure that you're taking care of the other things. Baseball is important, but uh, we try to, you know, develop the individual as a, as a balanced individual and not just, you know pressure them into feeling like they have to make it or, or that's the only route um, now do you ever did people did you see any athletes come in that picked up baseball late and ended up doing well with it or was it pretty much everybody that made the team had been playing since they've been five years old and all the way through or did anybody ever come in that had you know some talent and actually you were able to or they were able to take that and develop it into something that, you know, did well? Yeah, actually, surprisingly, a lot, a lot of those kids that come in at 10 years old, you know, maybe 8 years old, um, they have, you know, a 3-5 year delay in, in starting the game. Um, they end up going further because they don't have that wear and tear, especially if we're talking about travel ball players. Um, playing six games, seven games a weekend can, can wear on your body. And, and I know that there's a lot of studies on that right now and seeing if that's really the best idea. I've kind of uh, subscribed to the school of thought of playing multiple sports is probably the best way to go. Um, I think as an athlete, developing multiple skills will correlate into whatever your strong suit is, if it's baseball or football. Um, just giving your body some time to rest, especially in sports like baseball where you're constantly throwing. Um, or you know football where if you're getting hit giving your time or giving your body some time to rest uh, and picking up other skills while you rest you know the your arm for example um, that that'll benefit in the long run and, and so going back to your question of, of 10 year olds I think the kids that come in later to play the game they have that fresh kind of passion they don't get worn down by by the competitiveness necessarily um, that atmosphere can wear on you over time. I know a lot of kids that, that had a lot of potential, and by the time they got to high school, they just didn't want to play anymore, um, whether that be their parents or their coaching. Um, so we try to keep an atmosphere that's uplifting and, and encouraging for, for the players. We don't ever want to wear on a player and make them feel like he has to perform or, 
or we're depending on him to, you know, succeed. Um, we want them to be happy with their progress. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's totally a balance when I, so I joined the military right out of high school. And then after I got out is when I went to college and I decided for whatever reason, I wanted to dive like off a springboard, you know? And so I walked on and the coach looked at me like, so you haven't really, I said, well, I dove my last year in high school and, um, you know, but this was after I got out of the military. Right. So they're like, you sure, you know, you know, you don't have, and I'm like, I want to do it. I just, I want to do it. And okay. Yeah. Show up on this day. And then, so I showed up. Um, in speedos, man, that's the worst part of, of diving. Cause, you, <laughs> Cause if you're not used to wearing speedos and you yeah. got to put speedos on, they're freaking uncomfortable. Right. Um, and so I show up and I'm like, all right. And then, so she's like, okay, go jump off the board, you know? And, and so I walk and I jump and I land like way in the middle of the pool. And then she's looking at me like, dude, you really, um, yes, you can come back, but you know, most of the divers have been diving for a long time and, you know, but I'm really hard headed and I'm like, Bruce or not Bruce Lee, um, David. Nope. That was the second one. My third hero was Greg Luganis when I was a kid. Okay. Because in Wilcox, Arizona, one stoplight town is where I'm from. There was nothing else to do, but there was a pool. So in the summer, Growing up, I was there before the pool opened, and I was there after it closed. And I would bug the shit out of all the lifeguards. They either loved me or freaking hated me. Okay. And so, but I would do things that even they wouldn't try, like put a shirt on, and I'd go off the high dive, and then just try to spin as many times as I could until I hit. Because, you know, my brothers always beat me up, so I was tough, and I didn't really care. Yeah. And so I'm like, no, I want to dive, you know? And so... I have this opportunity and they're like, well, you know, I don't know if you should do this, but no, I want to do it. So I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to freaking do it. I can work hard and I can learn and I can be as good as anybody else. I promise you just give me like a month or, you know, and so I would show up before practice and I would do, you know, just do all kinds of stuff. Well, what ended up happening is the first year I sucked ass. I ended up hurting myself more diving than my whole wrestling career you know I wrestled since fifth grade and all the way and then I also wrestled in college and um diving I hurt myself more and it's weird and it's scary man because if you do this ah, and then it hurts <laughs> so so whatever long story short the second year diving I ended up breaking both of the you know one meter and three meter records and but there was another guy, and where this long story is coming back to, is he was a diver, and he had dove since he was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. And so when I came on, he was doing all the crazy dives, right? And he, but growing up, he got burnt out because his parents, they just threw it down his throat, like dive, 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 sure. dive, dive. Now he gets to college, and yes, he has the scholarship, and he's doing dives, but he his mind wasn't in it because he had been like forced to dive for so long but he was really athletic and he was really talented but the drive you know yeah kind of just dwindled away yeah dwindled away and so but for me it was like oh no i have this whole new world to explore and i'm gonna push myself and i'm gonna go i'm going for it you know yeah and and so the rate of my development 
was astronomically different than his because he was already good and he was like, eh, burn out and I, and I wasn't. So, so my question is, so I, I agree with you on that whole doing other sports because you do some of this and you do some of this and you develop skills from this that will help you with this, right. but it's not the same thing being thrown down your, you know, forced down your throat. Right. So, so I, I like that. I, I think that's a good idea. Um, now, do you, is it possible? Okay. So I've talked to my son because I know he's got an arm. Like I play out there and he throws it hard, but when you're and he's what, four, 13 or 14? 13, he's 13. <laughs> 13? Okay, so, <laughs> so my question, so he comes on board and I'm telling him, hey, you should try pitching. He's like, dad, I don't really wanna pitch. Um, I'm like, but if you if you pitch, I'm like, you don't have to, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm not gonna push it. But if you try to pitch, you can develop, and I would imagine that you could probably develop, um, even though you're coming in late, skills that maybe you're not going to be a pitcher maybe you're going to stay out in center field or maybe it is shortstop but if you do pitching now maybe you're going to develop a better arm than what you're going to have now if you have somebody like that that was going to develop that like a center fielder that practices pitching mm -hmm. would you say that is bad or good like, would you say, if you want to be a center filler, stay, don't, don't mess with the pitching? Or would you say try it and develop? I'm just curious. What's your, what's your thought on that? Um, I think that developing the mechanics of pitching is beneficial to everybody. I think uh, some of the drills that we do, we do it with all the players, even if they're not pitchers. Um, and it's just so that they can get a better feel for their own body. Um, you know, how the mechanics of using your body to generate momentum instead of just trying to use your arm. Um, can increase your speed and your accuracy if, if, if you're working on it and honing those skills. Um, so, you know, one of, the, one of the drills that we do are, are flat ground drills, which are technically for pitchers, um, where they're in the pitching pose and, and they have their, their, what we call their scale with both arms, their, their glove hand and their um, throwing arm. Um, and they rock back and forth and use their momentum and then they turn with their hips to deliver without using their legs necessarily, but what we're trying to get them to feel there is how their body works as a spring. Um, so even if you're not a pitcher, if you're a center fielder, if you're a third baseman, those mechanics can help you in the field when you're making your throws because you're not just throwing with all of your arm. You're, you're using your entire body to try to generate that momentum and that velocity, um, which I think obviously contributes to, to longevity as well because I see a lot of kids in high school pitching with just their arms um, or, or not using their legs properly. And so building from the ground up and getting those mechanics and really getting the kids to, to feel their body more so than anything else and feel the difference between throwing with your arm and throwing with support um, is beneficial because they'll incorporate that in how they throw anywhere on the field. So in some of these exercises you've developed when you were coaching the little league or is this thing are these things that you were taught yourself yeah or? these are things that I, I was taught and and like I like I said I've I've been fortunate enough to not only play baseball stateside but also in Mexico and so um, I've gotten to see multiple different perspectives on on um, co on coaching and, and you know pitching drills and and so I've, I've just kind of taken what I think is best or what made mo most sense for me and I try to teach that um, 
to the boys and, and hopefully help them develop the same way that, that I was developed. Um, and, and now with my perspective on injury, that's really the focus for me is, is how can I prevent injury um, for these kids as they develop, as they grow. Um, and so I think using your body instead of just throwing with your arm is huge. A lot of kids with big arms li like to use it. Of course they do. They, they like to throw hard. I was one of those kids too, but looking back, I should have been paying more attention to working from the ground up and not just trying to de depend on you know a good arm. Now, sometimes we're too damn hard-headed though. Like, sure. you know, people probably told you that yeah. back then. Yeah, they did. And isn't that funny, right? It is. And, and now it's like, shit, now that you're old enough and you have your own experience, you look back and you're like, son of a bitch, I wish I, wish I would have listened. Sure. Right? So I guess the question is, how do we get kids to listen and now you know the kids that you're coaching so they're not going to make the same mistake you made and yeah. overdo it and you know build from the ground up and i guess that's the that's what we're all trying to search for how can we make the impact how can we help and help people not make the same mistakes we did yeah know? well i think my age kind of benefits there um i think i can relate to the kids uh, in a way that most coaches couldn't i couldn't relate to when i was a kid um you know most of them are dads or or you know helpers um, I didn't really have a, a coach that was young um, that could tell me less than 10 years ago this is what happened to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to tell you for, for your own good. I'm not trying to hold you back. I want you to be as good as you can be. I want you to use the big arm, but just use it correctly. Um, and so I've seen, I've seen some success with that from that perspective. And, and the rest of the coaching staff, for the most part, is also... Um, under 30 years old so I think we can relate to the players in a way that most coaches don't and, and, and not by any fault of their own just that age gap um, between father and son and, and so I think we come at it as like a big brother and so I think you're a little more receptive to your big brother than you are to your dad sometimes um, so it sits better and, and they can take it you know for what it is and, and not just take it as an annoying comment from, from a coach or a dad. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about your assistant coaching staff. So uh, one of my assistant coaches is my uh, best friend, Chris. We uh, grew up playing baseball together uh, in high school, and, and now he works on um, speed and agility. That, that's one of his pursuits. He wants to be a trainer. So he's using this as, as you know, uh, experience in that field. Um, another one of our coaches is uh, Greg Moody. He's been a volunteer at the local Little League for, for years, and I developed a relationship with him as an umpire and then later as a coach. Um, his son, Jake, who's 16 or 17 years old, is also a volunteer. Um, he's a former pitcher, so he helps us with a lot of the boys. And, and again, he's, he's uh, young, so, so they can relate to him, look at him like a big brother. Um, and we're adding coaches at the moment as we start to expand into multiple age groups, but that, that's been the core group of coaches from the beginning. Um, and so I think they, they all give us different perspectives on the game um but we all have the same attitude of, of you know being uplifting encouraging and, and understanding that for a lot of these players it's their first time uh playing at this you know competitive level and so we all have a lot of patience and, and we just want to see them develop not only as baseball players but as young men as well do you ever see taking any of these teams to mexico city or to anywhere else that would be a dream of mine uh 
down the line. I think right now, just with the budget that we have, uh, that's probably not in the picture. But down the line, that's something that I've always dreamed of. I, I grew up playing in Mexico City over the summers, and so um, a lot of the times over there, I would notice the difference in privileges or lack of privileges that, that those players have. They would share the same four helmets, uh, maybe you know a couple bats. Um, and so I, that gave me a different perspective coming back to the United States and playing travel ball here where every kid has a $300 bat and, you know, their own helmet and a brand new glove. Um, and sometimes the talent over there was better than here. So it has nothing to do with your equipment. It's just, you know, that drive and that desire. And so that, that would inspire me as, as I was 12, 13 years old uh, going over there. I still have some friends over there. Um, and so down the line, I would like to set up a tournament um, where we can play teams like that so that these kids can get that perspective too. Um, not only to, to see, you know, that the talent is uh, separate from income, but also to be a little bit more grateful for the situation that they have as, as I was at that age. Wow, perspective. Do you still have relationships of people that are in involved in baseball in Mexico City? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have some uh, former players that that I grew up playing with that you know now um, they continue playing in, in semi pro leagues or uh, you know they they still have ties with the local little leagues where we used to play at. Um, so it's cool to go up and go over there and catch up with them from time to time and, and check in how they're doing. What would you need in order to? organize a trip to Mexico to play Little League with one of their local Little Leagues? It would probably be some sort of sponsorship, um, maybe a, a facility, um, you know, a complex that's facilitated for us to go play at. Um, I'm not really sure about the permits that would be required or, you know, how difficult it would be for everybody to get their passports. Um, I see it being easier on across the Mexican border than, than here just because it's easier for us to get passports uh, to, to Mexico than it is vice versa um, but that would re that would require some sponsorship because it is an expensive project trying to coordinate all of those trips um, especially considering Mexico City is not necessarily close to the border um, so incorporating maybe some little leagues from Tijuana and, and, and then um, also inviting teams from Mexico City to take that flight and figuring out a way to pay for that flight and, and for our travel as well. Um, so that, that's a project that I, I've wanted to put together, and not just with Mexico, but, you know, internationally. Um, but that's something that's going to be down the line. It's going to take some work and coordination. Yeah. Well, I think it starts with a dream, right? right. And then it, the second step is to put it out there. And that's why I'm asking. I'm going to pull that shit out of you because it is possible that somebody is listening to this or will listen to this at some point that maybe had a windfall and that loved baseball. Maybe they didn't get to do what they wanted to do, mm -hmm. but they can turn around and help and bless others and help, you know. So so you just never know, man. I am a... Man, I've seen crazy things happen where the underdog came out like a like the champ, you know, like, um, like got put in a pile of shit and came out smelling like roses. And, <laughs> and I feel like that it's, that we never know what's going to happen if we put it out there that it is very possible for, you know, our dreams to come true and make other dreams come true. Sure. So where else would you play besides Mexico City? 
Uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Where else? What other countries? Oh, other countries. Uh, I think the Dominican's a beautiful place. Um, just given that that seems to be the heart of baseball right now. Um, you know, incorporating countries like Cuba, who's always had a passion for baseball, or uh, I mean, if we're if we're dreaming, then then Japan, right? Um, they have a different culture out there for baseball, but I think it's it's fascinating the things you're seeing from you know players like Shohei Otani and, and formerly um, Ichiro and and big big names like that. Um, so I think just taking the game of baseball and and you know seeing the different cultures that have developed around the world. Um, is a really cool perspective on not only the game but but life itself and and how you know human beings can develop in, in different ways and and it, it's still a beautiful thing um, the culture that they develop. I agree. I, I think like I just in society right now and all of the bullshit with racism this and black this and white this and Republican this and conservative this and vaccinated or non-vaccinated and mask and non-mask and every freaking way that we can be divided, we're divided and people get caught up in their identity. Whatever you identify as, if you identify as an American baseball player, right, then you're going to focus on everything that is gonna make you feel validated as an American baseball player sure and I feel like when we give people the opportunity to see the other side of the spectrum like your example of going to Mexico is perfect because you saw that they only had four helmets or three bats that the whole damn team used and they were probably happy about it they probably didn't most of them probably I would imagine that you know they made it and they just their focus was on hitting the ball. It wasn't on right. what the bat was, right? right. Because at the end of the, and and that's how I think, you know, baseball can fo- can go over into symbolize life because <clears throat> if you focus on the wrong things, you're going to have results that reflect your decisions and your focus. If you focus on the bat and not hitting the ball, you can have the nicest bat and it don't matter. Right. You can focus on having a great glove and it don't matter. You can focus on yourself, right? And I'm going to try to be the best I can and screw everybody else. <clears throat> but then the results are going to reflect that. And if people, and, and so I really like what you're doing. And I think that you have a, a good opportunity to actually make an impact on people's lives and getting them young and hopefully instilling some basic values and work ethic and drive and perspective and and all of those things that you're doing I think is gonna make kids better people and so and then in turn is gonna make you a better person and so so I think it's cool and that's why I wanted to get you in here not only to talk about the next step Academy but also to get a feel from your personal experience and perspective because not everybody gets to go to Mexico to play. Right. Yeah. I would have freaking loved to do that. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that until I was older. Um, I, I kind of noticed the, the lack of perspective that a lot of Americans have just given that they don't really travel outside of the country for the most part. Um, and so I think just bringing that 
perspective into the academy or, or whatever it is I do um, helps bring a balance, I think, um, at least in my life. I, I have perspective in the sense that I know I'm privileged, um, and so I try to let others know, hey, regardless of what your situation here is in the States, you have it better than 99% than of the rest of the world. Um, and so that I think that's a lesson that I value now that I didn't really understand or know how to value back then. Um, but as I get older, I see that that's huge. And so if you have the opportunity to travel, you should, and you should see how the rest of the world lives. And um, I think it really helps your development as a human being just in general. Um, seeing how others struggle and, and how others are grateful for their situation, even though it might not be as as good as yours necessarily. Um, and it just makes you more grateful for what you have. So my mind is racing for a bunch of questions I have, but when it comes to being a... What's the word I'm looking for? A... Let's say, I guess an all-around good athlete. Great, no, forget good. Great athlete, mm -hmm. exceptional athlete. What is your idea? Um, <clears throat> how can I best articulate this? Values. When it comes to values, how would you rate values of appreciation, accountability and talent and work ethic yeah so those those four things are kind of like pillars where i'm thinking are pretty damn important um and if there's anything i missed what what do you so so um as far as appreciation talent work ethic and what was the what was the fourth one accountability count Oh yeah, accountability. One of those minor <laughs> details. What What are your opinion? What maybe elaborate on some of those? Yeah, so I think work ethic's huge, um, and that's something that you'll hear from every coach, regardless of your talent. Um, you know, hard work beats talent every day if you give it enough time. Um, and so, finding a way to keep that drive, to keep working hard as you develop, and even if you're having success, um, keep working hard because somebody's working harder. Uh, and so if you have that kind of drive to, to wake up, go to the gym, and, and take the extra reps after practice, it'll show. Um, you know, I live that myself. When, when I put my foot on the gas and I worked really hard, then the results would be there. And when I didn't, then they wouldn't. Um, and so I think that's something that kids don't really see at a young age, and, and it takes failure to, to really realize that. Um, and some people can't bounce back from that failure. So that kind of ties in with accountability and being able to assess yourself and say, well, why did I fail and, and what was missing? Um, and so, again, if you can turn that frustration into drive to work hard, then you're going to have success as an athlete. If that frustration brings you down, then it's going to be hard to recover. Um, something else that I think is really important, and, and maybe it ties in with appreciation, is just also keeping a clear mind and, and being balanced as an individual. Don't, regardless of how much you love the game or how much you think you're gonna go all the way in the game, don't let it consume you. Um, you gotta, you know, still appreciate your family, still take your vacations, um, diet, but still, you know, give yourself some time to, to appreciate life. Um, because if you become consumed with the game, then 
if an injury pops up or if uh, you know you just don't make it for whatever reason that can really wear you down as an individual and, and uh, the game is supposed to make you better as a, as a person I don't think it's supposed to be your entire life um, even though it can become that for some people I think it's important to maintain a balance um, even if you're an elite athlete just appreciate all, all aspects of life and give yourself time away from the game as well to give you a different perspective on the game sounds like good advice do you have any statistics on how many people actually what as a percentage make it to a major league or professional player i i don't know exactly but it's less than like one percent i'd say um from you know all the people that sign up to play baseball in the first place especially if you're looking at it internationally it's less than one percent so if you're playing baseball to become a pro um i don't think you're gonna make it i think you should play baseball because you love it and because you appreciate what it teaches you even if you don't really realize the lessons at the moment if you just love the environment um, you love being with your friends or, or your teammates and the camaraderie that the sport builds um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the game and you won't necessarily understand them until you're older but if you're having fun doing it just enjoy the game and, and like I said don't let it consume you damn we can relate that to so many things in life it's so instead of a baseball player, maybe a baseball student. Students, sure. be a student of the game. Be open-minded, not to, so you can be the best player out there, but be the best student, best player that you can be. And I, I don't know, I think that with any sport, with any job, with any project, with any anything that you do, I think, so for example, I usually have, so this guitar, I usually have sitting here, but I've had for, I bought it in 1998. Wow. And that was, so what, 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. Crap, I'm getting old. <laughs> but I've had that guitar for 23 years, and the guy who sold it to me was like, oh yeah, you want him to have it with with, um, with just one, one uh, where you don't have like a layer, it's just, all I don't know whatever it was he's like this is the top of the line you want to get this and it was like 350 bucks and for me that was a lot of money at the time sure. I had just joined the army and the um and he's like but you know it'll last forever and the longer you have it the better it gets and I was like all right cool I'll get it well at the time I bought it the reason I bought it is because I wanted to be a good guitar player right I wanted to be like the guy at the party that could play the guitar right mm-hmm. and be the cool guy and and I got it, and usually with things, I pick stuff up quick, or I have in the in the past. And I picked this damn thing up, and trying to learn to strum and then hold down the strings and then move from this string to that string and not sound like an idiot, holy crap, that was very, very difficult. And so what happened was, I sucked, and I never got better, because the reason I got it and I, was the wrong reason. I wanted it. Right. I wanted to have this musical instrument so I could be cool or look cool. And the results were I sucked and I was a I did not look cool. It was the exact opposite, right? right. And but I kept it because I'm like, you know, at some point maybe I'll want to pick it up again. And so I did. And then it's very interesting the results I got when I switched from wanting to be a good guitar player to wanting to play and express and create sound, create music, create, just create something. 
And what happened, what I found was when I had that mindset where I was just playing and I didn't have pressure on myself because I wanted to be good, but I was just a student and I was exploring the sound, exploring my body, exploring the way that it moved and how the sounds emanated. <clears throat> I got better faster because I didn't get disenfranchised because I, I was not living up to my expectations. Right. So my expectations were just switched. I, I just wanted, I wanted it, I wanted to be good. I wanted to feel, I wanted to, to express myself. And then when it, and that made all the difference. So I think, again, baseball is another example of that where kids can come in and if they're trying to be the, the good baseball player, like we all want to be good baseball players, you know, that it's, I think anybody that plays wants to be good, right? Sure. Nobody wants to look like a dumbass. So, but I think if we can instill that, that it's being a student of the game and play with your passion because you want to be better and you want to test yourself and you want to, you know, if we can instill that, I think it's going to make a big difference as well. But it's, it seems like that is exactly what you, how you come across. And yeah. so I think that, you know, when my son came to your practice, I gave him the option. I'm like, hey, there's a travel ball team. You can go play with the travel ball team. And he could have. And he's like, no, I want to go over here because you made an impression on him. That's exactly why he did. Cause, because how you held yourself, how you communicated, you showed him that you have a, a lot of knowledge and you showed him that he can learn from you. And so, and that's an important thing. And and so I think what you said about your age, I think that definitely helps. Uh, I think that shows why you were successful when you were coaching the Little League. And I think it shows why you're gonna be successful doing what you're doing now here in Next Step Academy. Mm -hmm. So let's say I am, let's say my kid is hasn't played baseball before. And let's say he's in eighth grade. So I don't know, what is that, 12 years old? Yeah. What if my kid has liked baseball, but has never really played 12 years old? Would you say that's too late? Or would you say you could do something with a kid like that? We could do something with, with a kid like that. And, and even if we don't develop him into a, a star baseball player, we'll develop his athletic ability um, and his persona, I think, just in the sense of, you know, the accountability, the discipline, um, you know, being with the team and, and, and being held responsible to the rest of the team. That's one of the values that, that we instill in the program is if, if you're going to slack off, then you're not going to be the only one that pays for it. The whole team will. And so doing things as a group will really, I, I think, like, again, it's a metaphor of life. Um, if at your job you're the one slacking, you're not going to be the only one that suffers. The whole company will suffer. And so um, that level of accountability at that age, I think, is really important because a lot of kids that don't play team sports don't have that um, perspective on life or on work necessarily. So um, I, I've had a few kids where, you know, after a couple of practices of slacking off and the whole team having to run, um, they change. And, and that change happens quickly. And I don't think it's just a change on the baseball field, but they get the big picture of, okay, I can't be that individual. I have to, you know, think bigger than just myself. Um, and so I think that's just one of the, one of the values that kids can learn, um, even if they don't go on to be very, you know, great baseball players. Um, 
they, they'll pick up some values that are important for the rest of their life. Yeah, I guess humility, huh? That's right. That's yeah. an important one. Yeah, especially at, at the you know higher levels of baseball, that that can get forgotten quickly. Um, you can buy into the ego, and um, I think humility is important to to remember. You know, give yourself perspective. I think that's probably one of my biggest attributes that I look up to in people. Somebody that has made it to world class level. Like I keep, I always think of Tim Ferriss. You know, I, do you know who Tim Ferriss is? No. Okay, so he's he was a a wrestler back in the day. Ended up going to you know uh, I don't know if it was Princeton or Stanford. So he's a smart kid too, mm-hmm. and he does all of these different um, experiments on himself. So. He preaches, he practices on himself before he preaches, which I think that's cool. And he has been an investor in like Twitter and he was like some, so he's had some kick-ass investments, perfect timing, has some friends that are, you know, have more money than, uh, than me, definitely. But he is a very humble person very freaking humble and he always is like yeah i could be wrong in this and when he talks to people you know he's a smart guy but he's always very humble in what he does so i think like of my top people in life that i know and even personally like my 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 mom's husband gene you know my my sister's husband brian like these these people that i look up to that are so awesome like one of their determining traits or one of their 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 biggest traits is humility and i think that i wish more people had humility you yeah. know i think we wouldn't have problems with racism and with you know just bullshit sure. you know i you're a conservative and i'm a liberal or or whatever because i'd look at you like who are you i wouldn't be like oh you're I'm arrogant and I'm better than you because you're dumb and I'm smart, you know? Right. Because it's funny, I see that on both sides, right? Of whatever the defense is. You know, all the all the snide comments of like, well, did you know how, you know? And it's like, there are smart people on both sides and if people could just realize that they don't have the whole story, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what. I think being a, a human is you don't have the whole story, whether it's religion whether it's color, whether it's political affiliation, whatever the hell it is, like you, you don't have the whole story. People are smart on the other side, and and we're all just trying to do the best we can with what we got. So, um, but I think that you are putting that into practice, and I I think it's damn cool, man. And if there's any way that I can help, or you know, uh, be a part of whatever it is. That's why I, I wanted you to come and talk so we could, you know, see if there's anything that we could, that I can help you help others or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and again, I think the humility thing is all about perspective too. Um, just having, you know, the ability to accept other people's thoughts and, and views on life. Um, so I, I appreciate it, you know, the opportunity to come here and, and talk to you and, and, you know, the help that you've already helped us out with at the academy um again i I think that um habit of of giving and and not expecting to get back it's like you said it it pays off in the long run and so that's what i got from coaching um i did it as a volunteer and now here we are with the academy and looking to keep moving forward man 
that's some that's some deep stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah volunteer you know and and it encapsulate what it encapsulates what the move podcast is about move is an acronym m is to make a difference in other people's lives mm-hmm. o is to offer up your time your talents and your gifts the v is to find victory in the small thing and that's like humility that's like perspective no matter how bad you think the situation is just there's something that you can appreciate in it and e is encourage others and so you are you are moving you are what you are doing is move and it's it's just it's cool to see and i 100% agree that when you do that when you move that you will get back tenfold what you put into it and so um don't don't expect things from people when you do things for people do it out of the bottom out of the kindness of your heart and if you do that it may not okay i gotta share another story because this is so i i started this thing in my like it's called the move chronicles Mm -hmm. i'm probably gonna name it something else but what it was is helping people right doing something for the benefit of others and then carrying that through and see and try to see what what kind of benefits come back from you because sometimes so i was so i was actually flying to mexico city okay okay? my best friend at the time got killed oh wow yeah and he's from mexico city and it was in mexico city and his mom it was just him and his mom and his sister um his mom doesn't speak any english his sister a little bit of English I've you know um, and so when this whole thing had happened it like it was it was um, it was horrible man it was freaking horrible but I decided to go stay with his mom for a week and that was interesting because I don't my Spanish is a no bueno <laughs> and so there was a lot of very awkward uncomfortable moments when I'm sitting on this side of the table his mom is sitting on that side of the table and it's just us and we're trying to communicate and that, that was an experience. Sure. But flying there, I'm sitting on the, you know, in my seat, the flight attendant is coming up with the little cart pushing and she's selling, you know, whatever it was. There, there was like, and there was, there was a lady, a Mexican lady, probably six seats in front, like over to the, by the window. And she's pushing, and then she's, like, saying that she wanted some chips. <clears throat> well, the problem was on this that they needed a card, but the girl, the lady didn't have a card. Mm. And so the flight attendant's like, well, you have to have a card. And she's like, no. And then so, I, but I'm paying attention. And when the flight attendant got to me, I said, hey, I want to buy that lady those chips. Whatever she wanted, just go ahead and give it to her, and I'll pay for it. She's like... Are you sure? Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, just chips. Whatever, three bucks probably on the thing. And so she goes and she gives the lady the chips. And she said, it's from that man over there, right? And and the lady was like, looks and looks at me. And was like, Phew, and gave me a dirty look. <laughs> but she ate the chips. Yeah. And, and to me, that was like very entertaining. I said, and then the person that I was sitting next to, I'm like, she didn't seem very very thankful that I bought her those chips. Like, she gave me a dirty look. Yeah. But then she still ate the chips. Then the flight attendant was like, 
I cannot believe she's acting like that. She's like, you know what? What are you drinking? I'm like, Jack and Coke. She's like, you know what? On the house. Yeah, guess what? Guess how many Jack and Cokes I had <laughs> to Mexico City. Guess how many I paid for? I had probably six. Yeah. Like, because I was having fun. And then what ends up happening is I start talking to the person in front of me who has a nonprofit, right? And we and I was telling her, telling them about um, the My Unsung Hero. And then I was talking to the flight attendant and the flight attendant was involved. So it was an amazing flight. I, I made a couple good friends. I got, I don't know how many, and those Jack and Cokes are a lot more expensive than chips, right? Yeah, they are. So, so even though I was directing help to this person, they were like, right? Man, that doesn't, that's not normal. You think you're going to help somebody, they're going to be appreciative. Right. Guess what, folks? They're not always appreciative. And if you help somebody, that doesn't mean they're going to say, oh, thank you very much. No. They could be like, F you, get out of my face. I don't appreciate it, right? But don't let that stop you because just because you put good stuff in the universe this way doesn't mean it's going to come back this way. Right. So that whole situation with me, it went this way and it came all the way back around and it was tenfold, but it it emanated from a completely different angle. Right. And so the MOVE podcast, moving the acronym MOVE, everything that it represents by putting it into motion, by moving, you are creating more benefit for yourself, but it may not come back from that direction. It might come back from a different direction. Yeah. So I am a firm believer that what you're doing is going to create ripple effects and there will be a, a tsunami of benefit that's going to land right on top of your head. <laughs> well, even if it doesn't, I think I already appreciate, you know, the just the instant gratification that I get from coaching kids and you know, seeing them improve. So regardless of the secondary benefits down the line, it's just it's a joy and, and it's not really a job. It's, it's just a lot of fun, especially doing it with my best friend and, and you know, starting from the ground up. It's been a blast. Andy Aguilar. The Next Step Academy. If somebody wanted to reach out, where would they find you? Uh, you can call my cell phone, uh, 951-532-8910, or email nsawolfpack at gmail.com. Why Wolfpack? Uh, you know, I, I did a little research on, on team names, and I I forgot what website it was, but I saw that Wolfpack, something about the, the camaraderie of, of how they function, um, just as an animal, I thought it would be cool. Um, and it went with a lot of the values that, that I have as a coach. And so I figured that's a cool name, cool logo. Let's, let's go with it. Awesome, man. Yeah. Okay. Andy, thank you for your time. And hopefully you guys have made it to your destination. Hopefully you're not still sitting on the, on the freeway. Um, and again, thank you. I love you. But I got to leave you. And we'll talk to you next time. The Move Podcast. I'm your host. Or I try to be at least. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Cool, man.